Welcome to the Indestructible Wealth Podcast. This is the place where we help young entrepreneurs and professionals to make, keep, and grow wealth that you can enjoy now and for years to come. I'm your host, Jack Gibson, a serial entrepreneur, founder of multiple seven and eight figure businesses and wealth building strategist. Each week, I'm gonna share my tips, resources, and secrets to help you create a plan and build the life you've dreamed of. The following events are based on a true story. Muhammad Ali had his fist to my face and he looked pretty angry. The greatest fighter of all time and the most recognizable human on the planet was staring me down and I was, well, I was nervous. You see, a couple months back, my college roommate Todd was given a year or less to live. He was battling a rare form of esophageal cancer and things turned for the worse. So I called my friend Andy, who worked for Ali during the summers, and asked him to set up a meet and greet with the legendary fighter. Ali had a large estate in Berrien Springs, about 20 minutes from where Andy grew up on Lake Michigan. I don't know how he got a connection to that job, but Andy always figured things out like that. About 20 minutes prior to our fighting pose, we knocked on his farmhouse door, which was the former house of El Capone. And he came out of the darkness, playfully stared us down through the door, and then let us in. He did three magic tricks, which I'm pretty sure he got out of the book, Magic for Dummies, but it didn't matter. We loved it. And then we went outside where I handed Howard Bingham, the most famous photographer in the world, my special disposable camera I bought just for this occasion. Now, I know I'm dating myself, but it was 1998, and believe it or not, we didn't have iPhones. I didn't own a camera. So this is what I came up with. I think I actually tried to show Howard how to work the camera. If I could put in a shaking my head emoji, I would do it right here. Todd did end up passing later that year. And, you know, to this day, I'm proud that I could help facilitate and make an experience like this happen for him. His parents said years later how much the experience meant to him. And it was a thrill to meet Ali for the rest of us. There was four of us, college buddies, that were able to meet with Ali. And after college, I moved to St. Joseph to have a chance to be around him. Andy had taken the full-time job as their estate manager. And even one day, he pulled up in my driveway. I walked out my front door and had no idea that Muhammad Ali was sitting in the passenger seat. It was pretty cool. I ended up actually meeting my wife indirectly because of the draw of Ali. When I moved to St. Joe, I was only planning on being there for a year or two to, you know, figure out what I wanted to do from there. And that's when I met my wife in a dive bar. (laughs) Now, little did I know that just a decade earlier, Ali, who was an incredibly high earner, he actually made almost half a billion dollars in today's money during his, you know, incredible prize fighting career. But he had lots of financial problems that caused him to continue fighting long after his prime. So despite the wealth he had accumulated, Ali kept fighting well past his prime because he needed the money to maintain his lavish lifestyle and pay off debts that had been accrued to poor decisions, of course. And one of those was mismanagement of his funds by Herbert Muhammad, his former financial advisor. Although this decision put him at risk of serious injury or even death, Muhammad continued to fight for several years in order to make ends meet. Doctors now strongly believe there's a direct correlation to the repeated head trauma that he kept, you know, taking long after his prime and his rapidly deteriorating condition, which was Parkinson's disease. It wasn't until his fourth wife, Lonnie, took over his finances and stopped the financial madness. 
So even the strongest earners in the world can have financial issues if they lack financial education and they neglect the fundamentals. So let's dive into what Lonnie did to turn things around. And trust me, I think this has a lot to do with each of our situations because fundamentals do not change regardless of how much money that you make. Now, despite being one of the highest earning athletes in history, Ali had a tendency to spend money as soon as he earned it and sometimes even before he earned it. Just like the vast majority of Americans. The only difference is the numbers are a lot bigger in Ali's situation. He was known for investing heavily in high-risk businesses that often didn't pay off. He failed to save a portion of his income for retirement and taxes, often relying on loans from family members or friends to cover unexpected expenses. And like I said, you know, by 1965, Ali had earned a whopping $60 million for his career Adjusted for inflation, that's equivalent to over $475 million today. Yet when Lonnie took over their finances, he had a net worth of just $3 million, and she helped grow it to an estimated $50 to $80 million, somewhere in that range. I'm not sure exactly where. So here's exactly what they did to change things around and to transform their finances. This lines up pretty close to my five-step wealth building strategy. I'm sure that you'll see if you've followed any of my materials or podcasts before, I think you'll see some similarities here. So what did they do? So step one, <laughs> lo and behold, they live below their means. Wow. Earth shattering. Lonnie had to take decisive action when her husband's extravagant spending threatened to bankrupt them. So knowing they were living beyond their means, she took steps to reduce expenses. She diverted funds away from frivolous purchases and then started investing in more conservative investments. She canceled unnecessary credit cards. She negotiated better deals on insurance policies and other services like cable TV so that they could save money each month while still enjoying some luxuries. They really cut back, right, from the sounds of it. But the biggest expense, I think, was his entourage. Okay. His entourage was costing him somewhere like fifty to $60,000 a month, which in today's dollars is like, well, I think about half a million a month. So step two, they got rid of professional advice along with the high fees. Herbert Muhammad was Ali's manager and financial advisor for many years, but he was not always a trustworthy partner. Herbert took advantage of his position to gain access to Ali's wealth and make decisions without consulting him or taking the time to explain the risks involved. He failed to negotiate better deals with promoters and sponsors, and therefore limiting the amount of money that Ali could earn from his fights. Ultimately, Herbert's mismanagement led to significant losses in income and assets for Ali that could have been avoided if he had chosen a more reliable financial advisor or had simply learned basic fundamentals of finance and done things on his own, which they ended up doing. Now, step three, they took existing skills and assets and increased their income. Now, many of us do not have a highly, highly sought after skill like a professional athlete would have that could be monetized, but they still needed to look at ways that they could take what they did have and be able to increase the amount of income coming in. She managed their investments and financial decisions while creating these new revenue streams through endorsement deals and other partnerships. She leveraged her husband's name to attract advertisers and create marketing deals with companies like Nike and Coca-Cola, negotiated higher fees for appearances at events like celebrity golf tournaments. She did a lot of steps that increased his income. 
And then step three, they cut out risky deals and invested into safer income producing assets. This is what all you entrepreneurs really need to pay attention to. You guys and me included, you tend to gamble very, very heavily with your investments without even realizing how much you're actually gambling. The same skills that got you to where you are in your businesses, the success that you've had in your businesses, that aggression, risk-taking, bold decision-making, that's all great, but that does not translate well into investing. I'll tell you that over and over and over until you guys start listing and stop blowing your first 100000 bucks on doing stupid things. So what did she do? She invested in various different areas, ranging from stocks and bonds to, not surprisingly, real estate where just about all the millionaires, most millionaires have been created in this asset class. They invested in properties all over the world from London to LA, but they focused mainly on residential properties that could be rented out for income. Huh, seems like I've been saying that for quite some time. They looked for properties with good locations such as near universities or public transportation that would attract tenants. Guys, just get started with one property. Do not over analyze overthink it it's time you guys get in the game and start taking action please somebody buy a property and tell me about it i mean i'd love to hear one person listening to the advice that i give on this show and going out and buying a property they look for properties with good locations such as near universities or public transportation that would attract tenants in addition to the rental income from their investments they also sought out opportunities to add value through renovations and updates. This is called forced equity. We've talked about this on the show before. This is doing things that you having your control, fixing up the property to then force the value of the property up. They, um, did, you know, did cosmetic changes like painting and landscaping in some situations. And sometimes there were more substantial upgrades such as, you know, putting new roofs on and doing a full, you know, rehab, putting in modern appliances, energy efficient designs. They created a steady source of passive income while ensuring their investments increased in value. The same thing we do for our clients at High Return Real Estate, friends. So if you want to get a property and you don't know where to start, our team has lots of inventory that we can set you up with right now. Take care of all the heavy lifting on your behalf. Just head over to highreturnrealestate.com and book a call with Nicole or get on the Insiders Club list on my site there. And that's where we send out deals. Once a week, you get a property of the week in your inbox. Step four, they diversified and upgraded into bigger deals. So they played big boy monopoly, like I tell you guys too. They diversified their portfolio. They got into commercial buildings, such as office complexes and shopping malls. They took part in property development projects where they would buy land and develop it into a profitable venture. They did syndicated real estate projects in which they would join forces with other investors to purchase larger properties or develop entire neighborhoods. If you're an accredited investor, which means you make over 200K filing single, 300K filing jointly, or a million dollars in assets outside of your home, you're an accredited investor and you guys can qualify for these types of syndicated deals. These are the highest in my opinion, they're the highest reward for the least amount of risk, and they're the most passive that you can possibly do. Uh, syndication is amazing. And you guys, I can set you up with syndicated deals in self-storage, car wash. Hit me up. There's room. And these things make money without having to do all the heavy lifting or any of the heavy lifting. These types of investments allowed them to leverage their capital and gained access to more resources, you know, bigger projects than they could have 
achieved on their own. I mean, it takes a lot of capital to build a storage facility or, or to buy a multifamily apartment complex or to buy and build up car washes. But by pooling your money together with many other investors, then we're all able to do it as a team. They were able to secure better deals by partnering with these investors and then draw upon the expertise of those who had experience in the industry. You know, you're walking into a, you know, trying to build storage units or car washes. I mean, gosh, that's a, you don't know what you're doing and don't have any experience. That is a very risky proposition. But by leveraging off the capital of other people and the experience of this indicator, some of these investments annualized are in the 20%, better than Warren Buffett. And then step five, the final thing, they focused on giving back. The Ali family was very well known for their generous donations to charity. They believed that giving back to society was an important part of being successful and fulfilled in life. They gave large amounts of money to various causes throughout the years. I mean, millions of dollars to charities ranging from poverty alleviation initiatives to medical research foundations. I mean, they really wanted to make a difference for other humans and change the world. And I look at that commitment and it's admirable and it's inspirational and it's an incredible example for those looking for ways to give back without, you know, breaking our banks. Of course, we can't give away millions, but my plan is to keep building up my businesses, keep building up my wealth. And at some point in my life, I want to be able to say, I gave away millions of dollars to people that were in need, that were less fortunate, that doing the best they can, they just need some help. I want to be able to say that. And that's what I'm working towards on this platform. I want to grow this platform as large as I possibly can, which helps build up my other businesses. And with that excess cash flow, I'm going to take it and invest into smart things like real estate, residential real estate properties, syndicated investments. That's where the most, uh, I'd say the majority of my investable dollars goes. And then those businesses and those investments are going to keep cranking out cash. They're going to keep it increasing in value. And there will be a day where I'll be able to write a check for multi-million dollars to a charity and really make a huge, huge difference. So I need your help. If you guys can help me get this platform out to other people to accomplish this goal, it would be huge. If you get in value out of this podcast, please consider sharing it. Go on to Apple podcast app or the Spotify app and give me a five-star rating and review. It would make a huge difference in getting this information out to other people and uh, making a huge difference in the journey to uh, really making a difference in other people's lives. Thanks so much, guys, for listening. Appreciate y'all. Have a great day. That's a wrap for this episode on the Indestructible Wealth Podcast. If you'd like to dive deeper into your own wealth building strategy, check us out at myindestructiblewealth.com and follow along on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and yes, even TikTok. Send me your questions and your financial challenges, and I promise I'll respond. Also, I'll think you're really awesome if you'll share and leave me a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcast. Until next time, remember our mission here is to help you make, keep, and grow wealth you can enjoy now and for years to come.